Guys, we're in a new study. So does everybody have a study book? If you do not have a study book, please raise your hand. We're going to be starting a series that's going to go through three letters or three epistles called Living in the Eye of the Storm. And we're going to be looking specifically at First and Second Peter, and we're also going to be looking at the epistle to, of Jude. Now, these are probably letters, especially Jude, are, are, are letters that you probably have not read very much. Well, I hope you would read them. And, but there's a lot in these letters concerning living in the last days. Living the last days is obviously what we're living in, the time before Jesus will return. And living in anticipation of that, and living in a world that is not necessarily happy or supportive of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next 16 weeks. And so today we're going to start out in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and we're going to look at the first lesson, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses. And he's going to be talking to us about the hope of new birth. So let's look at some preliminary things. First of all, let's look at his greeting uh, in verses 1 to 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadonia, Asia, and Bolithnia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So let's look at what he says here. First of all, the identification of the writer. The writer identifies himself as the Apostle Peter. So this is a letter written by the Apostle Peter. Next, I want you to see the recipients. First of all, he identifies these believers as those who are temporarily living in this world. He identifies them as people who are temporarily living in this world. Because notice, in your Bibles, it'll say, to the pilgrims. Pilgrims. Now, when we think of pilgrims, we think of Thanksgiving, don't we? We think of people who are coming to settle in a new place. But that's not really the term, what the term pilgrims means. Pilgrims is just a sojourner. It's somebody who's here temporarily. So, for instance, you maybe have lived in Clearfield County for most of your life. But the reality is, is that you're only here temporarily. Even if you've never leave this county... You're only here temporarily because you are actually meant for somewhere else. So don't get too comfortable here is the point of the passage. And isn't that true? We get comfortable where we're at, don't we? We get, we, we got plans, we've got dreams for, for what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. But I'm going to be honest with you, the reality of the passage is, is that Peter is telling us that you're only temporarily living in this world. It's only a temporary situation. And you need to get used to that. So if you're here temporarily, let me give you a mindset that you and I need to have. The mindset that you and I need to have is, is that we've got to hold on loosely to things. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to hold on loosely because this place is not your home. You know the song? This place is not your home. I'm just a passing through. That's, a, that's reality, isn't it? You're just here for a brief moment. 
the rest of the world, time of your existence will be in eternity. So let me give you a perspective of of what that means. So let's 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 take the, let's say if we could kind of visualize what eternity looks like. I want you to visualize eternity as the whole span of the front of this building, of this of the sanctuary here. And so this so let's just say that this, if it could, is a representation of eternity all the way from this front there. Now, I want to put your life right now in perspective to eternity. If we could talk about, let's say you live 80 years. Let's say 100. Because we're getting a lot of 100 centurions anymore now. Let's say if you live to 100 years, your life would be this teeny crack right here in the corner compared to the rest of your time, existence, and eternity. Think about that for a moment. Your life right now is just this teeny crack here. The rest of eternity of what awaits you is the entire span and beyond of this front. Now, doesn't that give you a little bit of perspective? So when you think about your life here, it's just temporary, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? You've got something else awaiting you, and that's the point that, that Peter, is when he identifies them as pilgrims, he's trying to tell them that Basically, guys, you recognize you're only here for a short moment. You're only here for a short moment. The other thing he talks about here is the dispersion. Peter refers to these believers as scattered among the nations. These are believers who were scattered among the nations. Particularly what he may be talking about is, is if you remember in the book of Acts, that when James the Apostle was killed, you remember he was killed, there was a persecution that drove the believers out of Jerusalem, where? Among the world. Among the world. So they were dispersed among the world. And so he's talking here not just that we're temporarily, but that we're basically dispersed among the world. And that's really it. You know that there is, there is basically almost in every nation of the world right now a Christian presence. Some, in our nation it's outward. In some nations, it's inward. They have to be underground. But there's a Christian presence in every nation of the world now, basically. And so there's a dispersion. So he refers to these believers as scattered among the nations. Now, here's how he describes them. Here's how he describes these believers. And as we look at this, this is how he's describing you and I. And this is, this is interesting. You and I have got to grasp the points that he's making here so that we can understand what he's talking about. First of all, he refers to them, look at verse 2, as elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here he's talking about being chosen by God. They were chosen through God's grace and love as a part of his predetermined plan. They were chosen through God's grace and love as a part of his, God's predetermined plan. Now listen, I want you to understand something. When we talk about salvation... You would think in terms of you responding to the gospel and giving your life to it. Now, that is a perspective that you have of your response to it. But what I want you to see is that there is a whole other side to that, that whole aspect of you coming to Christ in salvation. God, out of his love and grace, chose you. You say, what do you mean, chose me? He predetermined long before anything existed that he would call to himself a people to be his people, to serve him, to love him. And so when you think about you responding to it, 
Let me ask you a question. Who initiated the presentation of the gospel to you? Did you? Did you have any control over someone coming to you and sharing with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ? No. Did you have any control that that person who maybe it was a parent or maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a preacher on the TV, did you know that that day you were going to come face to face with the gospel of Jesus and, and have an opportunity to respond to it? No. Who brought that by? God. You, and here, remember, now remember what the scripture says. No one comes to the Father except what? Spiritual them. So who gave you an understanding so that your eyes would be open? Because remember, Paul tells us in Corinthians that the reason why our gospel seems veiled to others around us is that their eyes have been blinded by the what? The God of this world. Who opened your eyes so that you could respond to the gospel? Who did? Yeah, God. Holy Spirit. See, this is the point I want you to see is, is that they were chosen, you were chosen through God's grace and love as a part of his predetermined plan. Why don't you stop for a moment? There's something I need you to grasp here. There's a greater point here. Not just that God is sovereign in your life and brings you to salvation. He chose you as a part of his predetermined plan. Now, listen, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about this. He chose you because he wants to do something for you. Now you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not talking about Billy, being Billy Graham. But he wants to do something through you, where you're at, where you're living, where you're working, through you. And immediately, for some of you moms, you might be saying, well, I'm just a mom. He chose you to mother those children. He has a predetermined plan for you to live Christ out before those children. He has a predetermined plan for you to live Christ out where you work, in your home. God chose you. Isn't that awesome? See, listen, when you realize, now here's the thing. Now, some of you might be having a hard time grasping that, and you're like, man, I don't know if I accept that. Listen to me. I want you to understand something to me. When you truly grasp that it's God's choice and His grace, you begin to understand that it really didn't have anything to do with you, and you're not worthy. You begin to truly grasp how great the gift of salvation is in your life. You understand me? How great the gift of salvation is. And you begin to appreciate it more. See, here's the thing. We just kind of live with it, don't we? We just kind of live with the thoughts. Well, I'm saved. I'm okay. God forgives me. Oh, I know I shouldn't do that. He'll forgive me. What's there is a flippancy about the attitude of your salvation. But when you begin to realize it had nothing to do with me, but had everything to do with Jesus, you gain a greater perspective of your salvation. So we see there, first of all, in his greeting, that he's going to describe them, first of all, as being chosen by God. The next thing we see there, he talks about them being sanctified by the Spirit. They were being set apart by the Holy Spirit to become like Christ. Here's the point I want you to see. It isn't just that he chose you, that he reached out in his grace and mercy and saved you. He saved you for a purpose, and one of the purposes that he chose you for is so that you would become more like Jesus in your life. See, here's the thing. Here's what happens. A lot of us think that I have... It's almost like a fire insurance policy. Okay, how many of you got fire insurance on your house? Yeah, we all do, right? Okay, I got house insurance. Some of you got flood insurance. Here's the thing, you've got those things in case something happens. And so this is what we think about salvation as, is that, you know, in case I die, I'm okay. 
But then you know what? You've got such a minimal view of what your salvation is, if you have that perspective. You have a, in fact, I would almost wonder if you truly understand salvation when you accept it. You say, what do you mean? See, here's the thing. Salvation is making a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ because you recognize who he is and that only through him will you have salvation and forgiveness of your sins. And you choose then to follow him with the rest of your life. Period. Now, when you do that, the Holy Spirit begins a process in your life called, that we know theologically that's called sanctification, where he begins to work on the old you. And he begins to conform your life over time to the image of Jesus Christ. So, for instance, let's take me. I came to Jesus Christ this month in April, coming up, will be 24 years. 24 years ago, I was a second semester freshman engineering student at the University of South Carolina. While I was there, I had a drinking problem, I smoked, and had a mouth as filthy as a sailor. Jesus reached down into my life in April, I think it was the third week, it was a Tuesday night of 1985, I read the entire Gospel of John, made a commitment to follow Christ, and I'm going to be honest with you, immediately he began to take care of some things in my life. Immediately I got rid of the mouth, immediately I quit drinking, took a year for him to work on the smoking thing, gave that up, because that was even more of it had a grip on me than the drinking and the cursing, but... Gave that up in a year. And those were some immediate things that he took care of. Now, 24 years later, I'm not struggling with smoking. I'm not struggling with the desire to smoke. I mean, it took five years to get over to the desire to smoke. There was a mental thing there to get over. I mean, I quit physically smoking, but mentally, it was five years. Now, here's what he's doing with me now, 24 years later. Internal things. Attitude. Wrong beliefs that need to be changed into right beliefs. See, that's the process of sanctification where you become more and more like Jesus. That's what he's doing in your life. So listen, you're a work in progress. Does everybody understand that? You may want to write that down. You're a work in progress. Nobody, let me, let me just stop for a moment. If you ever met anybody in, in, in a church that thinks they have it all together and that they're there, and they have reached the pinnacle of maturity. Ever met somebody like that? I have. Let me tell you something. They're not. In fact, I would say they're ignorant. Because maturity is recognizing, I've come a long way, but man, I've got a whole lot farther to go. And that true transformation and sanctification only happens when I go to be with Jesus. Then I will be as I should be. So, that's the first next thing. This results in obedience to Jesus. That's what he says. This results in obedience to Jesus. See, when I grasp the reality of my salvation, that it has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with Jesus, when I grasp that God is molding me to become like him, that he has a purpose for me, then I will be obedient to Jesus. I'm going to be obedient to Christ in my life. Let me just stop for a moment. I'm going to be very honest with you. We don't think about obedience. We get up in the morning, slap the alarm clock or whatever it is, pull the shade, hoping we can get another hour of sleep. Got to do what we got to do. Eat our Wheaties or eggs and bacon, whichever you prefer, or nothing. Trudge throughout the day, doing our stuff, reacting to whatever comes to us out of our natural responses, 
come home exhausted, throw ourselves in front of the TV, have it bombard ourselves with all the messages of the day and the news and all of that, and then go to sleep completely exhausted. And never once in most of our lives here do we ever think in terms of, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. Help me to respond the way you want me to respond. Help me to become more like Jesus. Help me to be obedient. Obedience doesn't enter into our mind anymore. And the moment somebody mentions obedience, listen to me, here's what enters into our mind. Well, that's just legalism. He's just being legalistic. I have freedom. Ooh. What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience. Love to Christ is expressed in our obedience. And see, you've got to have an understanding, first of all, that what the nature of your salvation is. You've got to have an understanding that God is working in your life, changing your life, and you've got to understand that the results are that you're going to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So then, he gives them a greeting, the end of verse 2, and he greets them with, he greets his readers with a greeting of grace and peace. This is very common throughout the epistles here. So let's look at verses 3 through 12. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time as we look at the issue of the new birth and the hope of the new birth. Look with me in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you, you rejoice with joy exceedingly and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Okay, let's look here. First of all, he's going to give some a, a thanksgiving concerning this new hope that we have, this new birth. And so look with me at verses 3 through 9. The first thing I want you to see is, is that Paul thanks God for the blessing of the new birth which results in hope. He gives for the blessing of the new birth which gives hope. Now let me ask you something. I want you on a scale of 1 to 10 in your mind. I'm not going to ask you this out loud. I want you on a scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being the lowest as far as maybe you don't even care to 10 being very excited. 
And I want you, honestly, right now, I'm not going to ask you to exaggerate it, although you may want to exaggerate it because your heart is very wicked and deceitful. I want you to rank in your mind where your appreciation level is for the new birth, for salvation. Be honest. Where is it on a scale of 1 to 10? Now, have you got your number in your mind? How are you doing? How are you doing? See, here's the thing. I have to be very honest with you. I'm not a 1, but I sure ain't a 10 either. And there are probably days when I'm not even in the middle. And I'm not on the positive side either. See, here's what's going on. Peter immediately starts out this letter thanking God for the new birth. And notice how he describes the new birth. Which gives hope. Let me ask you something. How many of you have had a... How many of you just had some struggles this week? Be honest. It could be anything. Work, anything. Your dryer died. You know, I mean, how many of you... It's just been a struggle this week. How many? Okay. All right. Now let me ask you a question. Just stop for a moment. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you would say, well, yeah, that was last week, but it's been the whole month. How many of you would say, not just a month, it's been a year. Not just one year, but several years. You know what, that's life, isn't it? Life is filled with struggles. The assumption of the Bible is that you are going to have hard times. You are going to suffer, period. He's going to bring it up a little bit further in our passage here. You are going to go through tough times. Relate to it. Understand it. Now, here's what he's saying. He gives thanks for his salvation because his salvation produces in him a hope in the midst of all that he's going through. So let me ask you a question. When you are facing the things that you're facing, where do you default to? Do you default to panic and crisis, wondering how you're going to get through it? Or do you default to hope because you know that there is a God who's going to get you through whatever you're getting through? that you're going through, period. And that no matter what happens, you have Him, and nobody can take that away from you. You see my point? That's the thankfulness that Peter had here. Man, shouldn't we have lives like that? Listen, if you had that kind of hope living in you, and the people around you who don't know Jesus, and they see that you're going through a crisis, they begin to ask questions, won't they? Like, why doesn't that bother you? Why aren't you... Why aren't you disturbed by what's going on. You should be angry. Why are you calm and at peace? Let's go on now. He's going to talk about the inheritance that we have. See, here's our hope. Our hope is in in Christ, but we also have a hope in what's beyond this life. The new birth also results in an inheritance that is reserved in heaven. You have an inheritance, my friend. Listen, the economy may crash and wipe out your 403s and your IRAs and cut them in half. What did I just read just a couple weeks ago? That if you invested money 20 years ago, and with all the gains of the boom of the economy over those 20 years, what just happened in the economy brought it back to what you initially invested. And so you're like, and everybody's panicking. (laughs) Okay, but listen, and it's like several trillion dollars disappeared out of the world. But you know what, as a believer... Your hope isn't in your IRA or the Social Security or pension program. You need to look beyond it to an inheritance that is yet to come. You understand? You need to look beyond it to an inheritance that's yet to come. 
Job, when he lost everything, what did Job say? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, he lost, I mean, he didn't just lose money, he lost all his kids, he lost his health. Why? Because he had an eternal perspective. See, this is what he's trying to tell us here. The new birth results in an inheritance that is reserved in heaven. Now, here's the other thing the new birth does. The issue of assurance. God keeps believers through faith until salvation is fully revealed. Look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Your assurance is not just an assurance in a... Here's what we do. Well, I know I pray to prayer. I'm okay. You've got your assurance in the wrong place. You've got your assurance in an act that you did, a prayer. Or, I got baptized. I'm okay. I'm going to be all right with Jesus. No, no, no. Your assurance isn't in what you did. Your assurance is in what Jesus did. Your assurance is in the fact that He died for you. My faith is in Him, not in me. And this is what He's trying to say here, is that it went, through my faith I have assurance and security in my salvation. That's what He's talking about here. Let's go on. Here's the next one. Joy experience. The hope of salvation results in joy in spite of current hardships. I have met so many Christians today, that all they, and I've heard them say, that God just wants me to be happy? And what they're about when they talk about happiness is that all their needs are met and that they're satisfied with life. My friends, that could be further from the biblical truth. God is not interested in your happiness as far as your materialism and your comfort level. He's interested in you finding your true happiness, your true joy in Him in the midst of what you're going through. I just recently, uh, there's a pastor by the name of John Piper who pastors in Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And part of his message, he was saying this about joy. We find our joy in Christ when, I'm just paraphrasing him, when you have an automobile accident and your little one goes flying through the window and is killed, and you find your joy in Christ because in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your loss, there is a God who is there who will be there to comfort you and that you find your hope in Him in the midst of all that life throws at you. You have found your true joy in Jesus in the midst of all that this life has to offer. My friends, that is where joy is found. It's not found in making sure my bank account is big enough. It is not found in making sure that I'm happy at home. It is not found in all of that stuff. Because let's be honest, I just asked you just a little bit ago, how many of you had a rough week or a rough year or rough numbers of years? You are not going to find true happiness with all the stuff that we seek to fill it. Isn't it true? We're only going to find happiness in the comfort that comes from Jesus Christ and our hope in Him. That's where our true joy comes. So when life throws it at you, you're going to have true joy because of Jesus. Period. Trust me, He will throw it at you. You will find joy in Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's where your true joy has to come from. Some of you have, have had terrible things. You've gone to work and been told, I'm sorry, we don't need you anymore. Here's your slip. Your joy is found in Jesus who will get you through it. See, our, our salvation should bring us true joy. But we're looking for it at Walmart. You know, I like Walmart. But our happiness ain't at Walmart. 
It ain't in any of the stores that are in this country. It ain't in your accomplishments. It isn't in any of your, your getting a pay raise or getting a paycheck. That's not where happiness is found. Man, we've got to grasp that. We've got to grasp it. Here's the other thing, the testing of faith. Here, listen, come on, some of you need to grasp this point. Trials purify and prove the genuineness of our faith. You know, when I have to see people go through stuff and they turn their back on God, that says something to me about where they're really at. Listen to me. I want you to listen to me. When I see people go through junk and they're blaming God and they're being angry with Him and they're turning their back on God, that says something about where they're really at. Now, it's possible that you can be disgruntled and discouraged with God and, and come away from Him for a moment. But when you see people totally turn their back on God, it's sort of like, remember I told you about the four types of soil, the, the condition of the heart, and there's the shallow heart that, you know, there's some excitement for Jesus for the moment, and then when trials come, it's it scorched, and they, they lose their faith because they're no longer happy in Jesus anymore because God did this to me. God didn't do it to you. Life did it to you. And who created this world in we live, which we live in? We marred it with our sin. And listen, God is going to test each and every one of you, including myself, with trials and tribulation, with fire, to test the genuineness of our faith and whether or not we truly believe. Why do you think that later on he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's because you endure. Listen, you know, some of you are reading the book of Revelation these days because you're really, really interested in what's going to happen especially in light of the last election. A lot of people are interested in prophecy now. But what you miss in prophecy is this. Throughout the book of Revelation is one word, perseverance. Persevere, saints. Keep plugging on. Your hope is coming. See, and, and trials purify and prove the genuineness of our faith. Here's, here's again the source of our joy. Our joy is found in our faith in Jesus Christ who we have not yet seen. This is where your joy is going to come from. Listen, you're here today and you're not happy. You're struggling. And, and can I go even so far as to say that you're blaming other things in your life for you not being happy. You're maybe blaming your spouse. You're blaming your kids. You're blaming your work. You maybe you're blaming me. I am, they are not the source of your joy. The reason why you don't have joy in your life is because you're not going to the one who will give it to you. That's Jesus. You've got to go to Jesus to find the true happiness and joy. This is what he's saying here in this passage. Our joy is found in our faith in Jesus Christ, whom we haven't even seen yet. That's reality. Let's, let's go on. So then the result of faith, here's what he's saying. The culmination of our faith is salvation, present and future. See, salvation is not just later on when you die. Salvation is now. Now. Right now in your life. Jesus being real to you right now. Not just later. That's the culmination of my faith. Is salvation live right now. Let's go on then. He's going to talk about the revelation of salvation. He's going to move then when he talks about our salvation being lived out right now. As a result of our faith, he's going to talk about salvation, and let, we're going to spend the rest of our time here, right here. So let's look at verse 11 and 12. First of all, he talks about it in terms of the prophets in the Old Testament and their longing. Salvation was the subject and longing of the Old Testament prophets. 
Do you realize that you have a whole other book, and that book is the Old Testament in your Scripture, in which you have the words of the prophet? Do you, listen, do you know why Eve gave her first child the name Cain? Because she thought that he would be the promised one to come. Only he didn't turn out to be the promised one, did he? All the way from Genesis, all the way to Malachi, is a longing through the pages for the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Christ, the One who was to come. It is there in the pages, all through the pages, the longing for the salvation of that only comes through Jesus. It's there. Read the prophets. They long for it. They anticipate it. But they didn't understand it. Man, how much better you are. You understand it. They long for it. So do we now. But we know who He is. We know Him as Jesus. Isn't that reality? Man, wow. So, the hope we have, salvation was... The subject and longing, the the salvation that we received was the subject and longing of the prophets. Here's the next thing. Here's their search. They were searching. I mean, listen, even though they they were searching, the prophets sought to understand the prophecies of a suffering Messiah. Look at verse 11. Searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They would try to make sense of this. Listen, this is why you, when you go to the book of Acts and you look at they, even the disciples in the Gospels, when Jesus was saying that he was going to suffer, they couldn't get it. They couldn't grasp it. Because in their mind, no way the Messiah was going to suffer. Were they just thick? No. The fact of the matter is that they were just reflective of everyone up to that point. They didn't understand. They longed to understand, but they didn't. They were searching. And then finally, look with me, verse 12, the nature of their writings. Here's what he's saying. A couple things. Their writings were not just to themselves. See, when they wrote those scriptures, when they wrote those books... It wasn't just to them that they were writing or to their time. It was to you and I today. Their writings for you were for you and I today. Man, this is, this is why you need to get into the Word of God. They're a personal letter to you. So apply it to your life. Let's go on. Here's the other final point. They were writing to those who would respond to the Gospel. See, here's the, this is interesting. You've got to catch this point. The Bible was not written just for everyone. What do you mean, George? The Bible was written for those who would know Christ by responding to the Gospel. Because it's only by knowing Christ and responding to the Gospel that you understand what you're reading. I'm not, I'll never forget this. I was listening to NPR probably a year ago. I listen to NPR every once in a while. And they had a guy on there from PETA. Does everybody know who PETA is? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Well, they had a lawyer on there, and I heard this lawyer say that he had read through the entire Bible. Oh, that's interesting. He's done something that a lot of Christians have not done. And then he said this. Didn't make any sense. Full of contradictions. 
I wasn't offended. Some of you be like, well, wait a minute now. Who's blinded their eyes to the truth? The God of this world. Who was it written to? Those who believe. Those who have faith, those who have the Holy Spirit who, who moved the writers to write it to give them understanding. It wasn't written for him who had no... He wasn't interested in believing. This is the point he's saying. The scriptures have their meaning and their true purpose for you. Because you've trusted. Do you understand? So that's the salvation we're talking about here. Okay, next week we're going to look, as we continue on, at the lifestyle. See, here's the thing. Wow, this is a great book to go through because remember what I told you, you just didn't get fire insurance. Your salvation, your commitment to Jesus is going to be translated into a lifestyle. That's something we don't like to talk about. But it's there. Okay, let's close our time with prayer.